Trace Link's Roddy Martin talks with supply chain transformation expert Pat McClagan on why supply chains are at a tipping point and why it's past time for the mental models to change in this episode of the Patient Driven Supply Network. Pat, welcome to the TraceLink Supply Chain Thought Leadership Series. Uh, I can't tell you how pleased I am, uh, am to have you in particular uh, to interview. You and I go back a long way in terms of, uh, you know, everything I learned about leading and managing change is Pat McClagan's style. And, and uh, it's proven to be invaluable as the supply chain industry or as industries go into fundamentally transforming the way they work. Nothing could have been better in a strange and a saddened way than the pandemic to throw a light on how broken supply chains really are. Mm -hmm. And what you've seen come to the fore is this word agility that we saw way back in the early 90s. We saw it in the 80s but it's come back in a different way. And I think one of the points and one of the reasons I'm so pleased to have you and I'd like you to introduce yourself is that agility, whilst it means people process technology and leadership, there are a lot of soft elements. And I don't know anybody who is as well qualified as and experienced to talk about those soft aspects of leading and managing change as you. So with that difficult uh, entry, how about introducing yourself? <laughs> Hi there, everyone. And Roddy, it's it's really a pleasure to work with you. You're, I think, one of the best interviewers around, and you've been around supply chain for ages. I have a lot of respect for the work you do and for how you think about these things. So I'm glad to see you doing this series of recordings. It's great. Um, I have been working in the organization transformation field for many decades. And I've been fortunate enough to be at the turning point in many industries. I've worked with NASA when it shifted from the, from the uh, moonshots to the shuttle. I worked with GE when it was first bringing in automated manufacturing, robotics, and other things. I worked with, uh, with the Defense Intelligence Agency after 9-11 uh, when they were having to ramp up and really look at intelligence in a different way. I've worked with the banking systems across the world. Uh, around there at the time of introducing the ATMs, which really transformed the banking industry, I think. Uh, and it, it's been a, a real learning experience, not to mention South Africa, where I worked for 30 years with South African companies and helping them get ready for the end of apartheid and, and post-apartheid world. So I've been a student of large-scale transformation, and I watch for these tipping points. And I think that the world and organizations and certainly supply chains are at a tipping point. And how you manage tipping points and make that shift from old ways to new ways and new mental models, that's what I'd like to really focus on when we're talking today. Because agile is not something that we just talk about. It's something that we have to make happen. And I'm seeing evidence that there's a lot more talk than there is progress in this agility area. And I think the people side is one way, is one source of unlocking it. And I think that's well put. And so if I asked you, if I was the CEO of a company, and I'd said to you, Pat, tell me what you think agile is from the perspective of your experience in developing leaders, helping organizations structure differently, 
helping motivate people and introducing performance. What do you think? What does agile mean to you in that sense? Well, I think, and I would really like to see companies answer that question in a very practical way. But when I think of agility, I think of two major domains. One is the ability to respond quickly to new signals in the environment. Uh, and that, and I mean quickly. And the second part of it is to have enough foresight to anticipate the changes that are coming and to have multiple directions that you can take depending on what happens. So now for agility to exist in a company, your systems, your processes, your people, how you manage teams, your structures all have to be designed that way. And what we have come from after years of, since the early 1900s, is a paradigm of business that has focused on what I call the hard S's, strategy, structure, systems, with the idea that you predetermine how people are going to behave and then you control variability. Um, and I don't mean variability in, in, in product response, but I mean you, you control variability in, in people's behavior. Now we're in an era where things are moving too fast for there to be top-down control and pre-designed control of behavior. So one source of raising our capacity to be agile is to unleash the capacity in people to be able to respond in the appropriate ways in the moment, wherever they are. Now, think about this for a minute. People that are actually working everywhere in the organization and mostly you know, who are dealing with customers, who are working on the lines, who are running the equipment, who are driving the trucks, who are dealing with, with suppliers, dealing with customers, those people every minute of every day are in little mini decision points. And the question that I like to ask is, what are they deciding in those decision points when there are trade-offs to make, when there are problems that are happening, when there are things that are going not as, as they planned, what are they doing? Because though in those exception situations, if they're handling them well, that is a, a secret and the heart to being able to respond with agility. Um, your people now, as we move into the future, are going to be our source of dealing with exceptions and of foresight. And, but we have not in the past developed people to be able to play those roles very well. We've developed them to play a role that we tell them to play, but we haven't developed them to be able to play roles outside of that role. It's like a seeing eye dog. You know, we train seeing eye dogs. They train seeing eye dogs to follow the orders first, and then they train them how to recognize exceptions. And we have rarely focused on the management of exceptions. And that's where I think in the future, the people's contribution to agility is going to be. So that's very that's a very useful setup because I think two points you make, and I don't want to blame, you know, take it out on IT, but I think, you know, when we automated people's behaviors or tried to automate people's behaviors, we thought, well, we're going to stick it in a big, you know, German or American ERP system and we're going to force them to work in a certain way. Well, that's not agility because you can't, you can't codify every single possible scenario in a system in a way that gives a person enough data, enough insight to make a smart trade-off decision. So I think, in a sense, codified IT hurt us badly mm -hmm. because, yes, we may have integrated, yes, we may have taken the perfect world and made it efficient through systems, but we, we, we disempowered people in that process. 
and I think it's caused confusion. And I, and I think that's part of the problem that you're identifying is leaders now resort to, well, what does the system tell us to do rather than intuitively based on our experience, how quickly can we respond and what's the right response? Right. You know, I think, and I don't want to get too conceptual here, but I think it's time to really look at the mental models. How do we conceptualize the enterprise? Up until now, we've conceptualized it as, some, as something we can tweak and manipulate. If only we had perfect information, and by the way, technology is going to deliver perfect information, right? If only we had that, we could manipulate. We treat everything in the organization as an object, including people. But step back, and people are living, breathing capabilities within a living, breathing system. You're dealing with a living system. So we need to start with a reconceptualization of what the organization is. Think about what, what, you, what happens when you ask people to draw, uh, draw the enterprise. They usually draw an organization chart. And that is a really good example of how they're thinking. They see the boxes and they see the hierarchy and that's how they think about the organization, their predominant mental model. But what if you think about it as a network? What if you think about it as an ecosystem where people have major roles to play and they're all interacting to respond to the larger forces outside of them and to keep an internal sort of, of cohesion so that they can meet the needs of that system. So you need a, a, a different kind of mental model. And I, I, one simple thing I think organization leaders can do is they can start to draw the enterprise in the way they would like people to think about it. You and I have worked a lot with individuals from Procter & Gamble. And one of the things that Procter & Gamble from the CEO level were incredibly successful at doing is driving the business from the shopper and the shelf back into the supply system. And we're approaching that exact same mental model with healthcare. We're saying healthcare doesn't start making millions of tablets and having 300 days worth of inventory spread all over the show so that every patient can get a tablet. You're starting with an individual patient's needs. And that's a very new mental model for the organization. And, and I've taken leaders through a discussion that says something like, well, yes, let's not think about this supply centrically. Let's think about this patient centrically. And I got the response, yeah, I agree with you, but that's a really big jump to get our organizations to start thinking through. I mean, you lived this in South Africa, right? So what advice would you give a leader when you tell them, look, we got to, even though we're not going to be patient-centric tomorrow, you've got to start thinking about the business because the way people behave, the information they need, the trade-offs they make have got to be with the patient in mind or the shopper in mind in the consumer goods industry. Well, I would say that that is a new vision of how the organization needs to work and a new set of values. We've talked often about maturity and organization maturity and how organizations are moving to try to be able to deal with the high maturity pressures that today's society and today's economies are requiring of us. And I think there is one jump in maturity that is the most difficult jump. And that is when the organization can no longer meet the needs of their customers and their environment with the traditional top-down way of operating, top-down siloed way of operating. 
they have to, and what the supply chain uh, and, and value networks require is that people shift their view horizontal. And that is a very difficult thing to do psychologically because there are relationship issues at stake like top uh, boss subordinate relationships, which are dependency relationships, my allegiance to the silo, my unwillingness to speak up in the face of power, my uh, allegiance, as I said, to the, to the vertical organization, when now you're telling me I've got to have my sights set on the horizontal. When I'm in that moment of truth every day, and there's a pressure between what my silo wants and what the customer wants, what do I do? We are living still in a world where the mental model is that organization chart. And that I think is the toughest challenge that we have to face. And I call it crossing the great divide. Because as soon as you say that you're going to cross that great divide to a more horizontal and interdependent way of operating, this doesn't mean you get rid of decision authorities and things like that. It's just that people have to start acting with more sense of multiple priorities and they have to be in every moment of every day making the right trade-offs in favor of the values that you're talking about, which are agility, customer, quality. You know, I've, I've done a number of surveys with large organizations looking at the results they're getting uh, from an external and internal standpoint. And there's a pattern that's emerged that's very troubling to me across enterprises. And I've probably done 30 or 35 organizations, including a very large supply chain organization. And, and you and I have worked on, on these things together. Uh, but what keeps on coming out is the, the major weak areas across every organization, I've never seen an exception, are the speed of decision-making up and down, the speed of decision-making horizontally, the ability to work easily and swiftly across silos, the speed with which innovation transfers from one place to another. Aren't those the definitions of agility? That's the definition of supply yeah. chain. Yeah. That is, and in fact, you know, um, you and I both lived, um, you know, were very, I certainly was very privileged to live with Graham Mackay, who you also worked with. And, and I'll never forget being called onto the mat with a bunch of, of my peers at South African breweries when uh, he said, you know, here's um, six beers that I bought in a liquor store. Why are the bottles scuffed? The labels are skewed. The full heights are different. And we said, it didn't leave manufacturing like that. And he said, you didn't hear me. I went into a liquor store and I bought these beers. Why do they look like they did? Well, when we went back and did the analysis, we found that there were many things that we could do in the business to prevent that happening at the shelf. And this is exactly what you're going to see in healthcare. People who are six or seven elements upstream of a patient are going to say, I don't know what the patient does with this. How do you expect me to understand how I do my job differently so that the patient is guaranteed an outcome or that the patient demand is going to be net. And I, and I think this is, in my opinion, this is going to be one of the biggest challenges for leaders is to how to paint that picture that no matter how far you are upstream in the supply process, when we say patient centric, you have to make it your duty your interest, your challenge to understand what is it that the patient is expecting from me in my role. Mm -hmm. 
That may mean I've got to break a few roles in my, or break a few rules in my individual goals and responsibilities. But if I stand up and say, I did this because it was in the interest of the patient, you should be able to get away with it. We don't think like that in organizations. Well, I think you're on to a very important point, And that is we have to start trusting our people to be able to do the right thing. But they're not going to do the right thing if they don't understand the big picture and what you're all trying to do. Communication is going to become one of the most important things for leaders. And I don't mean conducting town halls, doing one-way messaging. It's got to be a dialogue because you want inside of everybody's head, in the case of healthcare, who is that patient? What is that patient like? What happens when we're really meeting the needs of patients? It should live in their bones and in their psychology. I did some work some years ago with the head of one of the Veterans Benefit Affairs um, uh, offices. And he was one of the best leaders that I know. He got this idea. He said, we are here to serve the veterans. And he, when he took over this office, he went into the office and he said, this place is a mess. It says we don't care about our job. It says probably uh, veterans are being lost here. It's not a pleasant place to be. It's not inviting to our veterans. He transformed the whole place and did many, many things. He hung more than life-size versions of veterans throughout the building. He set up a museum with uh, the front end of a, of a helicopter with, uh, with all sorts of, of things that he got from the veterans. He had a wonderful welcoming area for the customers and everything turned around customer satisfaction. And do you know what happened? Their numbers went up and they became the lead in the whole of the Veterans Benefits Administration. Wow. And and I you know that's what we're hoping to see. Now you've you've had some input into the supply chain credo that we've built for, you know, the agile supply chain credo. And that's really what we're doing. We're not saying it's anything about trace link or technology or vendor. We're saying, you know, the supply chain starts at the patient and we all need to understand that mental model. And as we are thinking about our roles and responsibilities and metrics and processes and systems, Let's make sure that we don't lose sight at the end of the day of the patient that is really the end point and the definition of success in a supply chain. Because no matter how well you did in manufacturing, no matter how compliant and good the quality was, if the product didn't get to the patient when the patient needed it and the patient died, then who cared about all the other things you did right? I mean, it's all absolutely a waste of time. You know, there's so, a lot of retraining that has to happen too, because right. the way you lead and the way you follow in a hierarchical thinking organization is different than the way you lead and follow in a network um, horizontal ecosystem organization, a, sup- a supply chain. So you need, you need to really think, what, what are we expecting of our people? And of course, today we're expecting more self-management. We're expecting people to see the exceptions and to call, call them up right away so they don't become catastrophes. We're expecting them to work together in a way that where as soon as a problem happens, they raise it, they don't hide it because they're afraid that if they expose a problem, they're gonna suffer in some way. There's a whole retooling of the, of the mindset of people because many people, especially not so much the younger people coming in, but the people over, let's say 35, there's a, there's a, we've trained people to be 
successful or moderately successful independent relationships. And now we're saying to them, look, you got to think, you got to stand up, you've got to be like that seeing eye dog and, and disobey the rule of, the, of your owner in order to save him from falling in a pothole. Wow. So if you were sitting in front of a CEO, CEO says, Pat, you, this makes so much sense. If you said to, if you could give some advice to that CEO leadership member of the organization, What's the first thing that you think you've seen from leaders, people like Annette Clayton, who are real leaders in supply chain? What are the kinds of things that you've seen them do that have got them almost, I won't say immediate solutions, but immediate, immediately the traction starts, because that's really what you need. Yeah. You know, this is, uh, this is what I firmly believe. You've got to look at yourself and who you are, how you see the organization, how you view power and how you're going to use it because everybody who is a CEO of an organization has a lot of power. Somebody might say, well, you know, it's not, not so powerful as you think, but they are because people attribute power to you and you do have resource control. So it's really, I think, taking some time to step back and say, who am I and what kind of leader do I want to be? And what kind of organization do I want to be a steward of? Because it's a stewardship role. It's not a bossing role. Um, so I would say that. And then I would look very closely at the organization as a system. And I would say, you know, how are we doing on the people side, the system side? What, what role, how do we envision technology and what it's going to enable us to do? What is digitization really going to mean in terms of how it's going to potentially transform our business? And then how do we organize all of these pieces of the organization design so that they're working together and not against each other? You, you know, I think there's a, a, we have to retrain people so that they, every time technology evolves, we should ask ourselves, what does this mean for people? How can we optimize people? How can we optimize their imagination, their exception viewing, their checking us on our values, their foresight capability? We're not, I don't see many companies building those capabilities. They're good at training and job tasks, but terrible at training in the, in the cognitive skills, in the emotional skills, in the, in the uh, willingness to step out there and, and speak up. That's what we have to be doing, or we're going to not be using some of the most important capabilities we have, and that's our people. Think of an organization with 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 people, the untapped energy that's there, how wild it can go if it's not aligned, and how amazing it could be if it was. Right. You know, that, that is so true. And I mean, you, you really drive a point home. I think that when you, when you take the, uh, the opportunity away for, from people to think, you codif you've codified their practices and their behaviors to such an extent that they become machines, it's extremely demotivating, especially when you have to do, you know, efficiently do the wrong things, right? Because the system helps you efficiently do the wrong things. And, and so I think there is still a mentality, unfortunately, in senior leaders that says, well, you know, I gave you a billion dollars to go and buy your IT system. Now go and get it done and call me when you're finished and we'll figure out how we're going to use it in the business. That has to fundamentally change. And I think, in the new generation of software, certainly the software that we're creating at Tracing, where you have 
like an Amazon platform where people are connected, they're sharing information, there's visibility, you can start thinking about systems in a different way and you can start providing that visibility and that interconnectivity uh, and the contextual information that people need to know in order to do their jobs better. Yeah, and if you, if you look at I, I, what's happening in digitization, what's happening in technology is amazing. It's not going to stop. But what if you, instead of just focusing on that and optimizing that, which is a whole lot easier than thinking about the softer side, look at the whole system and, and ask yourself, how do we optimize all the parts of this system? What does this mean for people? It doesn't mean that they're, they'll either be getting dumber or smarter. There's no middle right. ground. Right. Do you want to dumbify? I don't even know if that's word, but you know, if you, do you want to dumbify your people or do you want to say, hey, we've got the most amazing computer in the world is still in people's bodies. And right. how do we, and there's so much more that we can get from it, but it's just a fear. It, it's, it's something that people are afraid to deal with because there's so many, it feels like we can't control it very well. This has been really fantastic, and I, you know, I think I'm going to draw your um, the attention of the of the audience here to a point you make, and that is, and we heard heard Maeve say that in one of the presentations. You and I have both worked with Maeve, where she says, "The patient is me," and I think at the end of the day, when the CEO or the C-level leader of an organization starts by looking at themselves and realize that they, in a sense, epitomize the patient. Mm -hmm. And you have to build a business around how you're going to satisfy that patient's needs. And you can then communicate, as you say, and galvanize the organization to use their noggins, their innovation, their intelligence, their insight to drive the business. That's a very exciting way of looking at the future. Yes, what, what would you say to that comment? Well, you know, it reminds me of some conversations I've had with executives, very high-level executives, COs and COOs, um, and, and chief executives about their legacy. And often there have been times when people have said to me, well, I only have two more years left, so, you know, there's really not much of a legacy. I mean, it's, it, it's too late for me, but maybe for the next generation. And I say, wait a minute, you are right now at the peak of your power, the peak of your control or influence on resources. Now is the time in these next two years to really go for it. What do you want to leave behind? And now is the time because there's so much change happening. We have to help everyone, leaders and people at work, to transform themselves to be able to be, to be able to cope with what's ahead. So we have a transformation agenda and we still have to run the business. Now, Pat, this has been incredibly useful and thank you very much. I mean, I think, and what I'd hoped is that you would bring a perspective to agility that says you can have all the systems, all the technologies, all the codified best practices and benchmarks you want. But if the people and the system are not ready to internalize those capabilities and use them effectively in their day-to-day -day jobs and get them motivated and new mental models of why they're there. They're there to serve patients and customers. Uh, you really brought that home and, and I really appreciate that. So thank you very, very much, especially on my behalf. We've come a long way together and uh, I think your message will certainly resonate with supply chain leaders. So Pat, thank you very, very much. Well, thanks, Roddy, for the opportunity and all the best to Trace Link and everybody who 
listens to this uh, podcast.